This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now. You can be seated. We're going to be today in the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 1, looking at verses 1 through 8, talking about the gospel bearing fruit. So we're looking at this letter that Paul writes to the church at Colossae. It wasn't a church that he founded personally. Probably was founded when the time that Paul was in Ephesus. We know that Paul spent some time in Ephesus. We know there was some controversy in Ephesus. But we know that Paul was working and discipling persons that were there. And, F- and Colossians actually starts out of a statement that he gave to Timothy uh, when he told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, entrust to faithful men those who will be able to teach others. And so most likely, of course, Barnabas and the other disciples had been a part of Paul's growth and discipleship after his conversion. Uh, Paul, being a, a rabbinic scholar, uh, seeing things now in the Old Testament scriptures that had been otherwise blinded to him until filled with the Spirit, a believer in Christ, and then he takes the gospel, the good news of Christ, to what what literally was almost pretty much the known world. And in those trips and in those preaching missionary journeys, they're oftentimes called, Paul goes to the city in Ephesus, and there he spends a significant amount of time, and he's discipling uh, pastors. And apparently one of those men, Epaphras, who he discipled, went to a city not far from Ephesus there in Asia Minor and he had shared the gospel with others. They had believed and out of that group there had been formed a church, the church of Colossae. And so some years later now Paul is writing a letter back to the church at Colossae. His circumstances have certainly changed. He's um, writing from jail. He is Um, is aware that, you know, anytime the word of Caesar could come and he could lose his life or he could be released, he really doesn't know what's ahead, but he's writing this this letter to this church at Colossae. And in the introduction, I want us to look at really what are some essential elements that Paul says he's praying for this church. You know, Paul says, hey, these are the things I'm praying for you. And we'll read the passage in just a second. And out of that, that prayer and out of these elements that he says he's praying for them, I think there are lessons for us to learn about what is essential. What are the things that should be priority for us? What are the things that we need to be reminded of? What are the things that we need to be praying for as a congregation and praying for others? And so it's really a, a fascinating passage that we're going to walk through tonight and look today and look at um, these different elements. So join me in the book of Colossians in verse 1. We're going to read through verse 8. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints in Christ at Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all of the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. 
You have already heard about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, bearing fruit and growing all over the world just as it is among you since the day you heard it and came to truly appreciate God's grace. You learned this from Epaphras, our dearly loved fellow servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. And he has told us about your love in the Spirit. So I want to kind of pull out kind of three sections out of this introduction and look at it. Because we're looking at this idea of bearing fruit. He mentions it in this passage, bearing the fruit of the gospel. And it's a reminder to us that out of our growth, out of our spiritual growth, there ought to be those elements that flow. There ought to be those characteristics that are growing and increasing in our life. There ought to be the fruit of of, of different aspects of what it means to then have the character of Christ and to reflect the, the attributes of God. And so all of these things are connected in Scripture to the bearing of fruit. And so we want to kind of walk back through this passage looking for some principles in regard to bearing fruit. So I want you to see the first thing here is that he speaks of them bearing fruit of faith, love, and hope. Now, Notice this in verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. For we have heard of your faith, notice that, in Christ Jesus, and of your love that you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you. Now, I think that's fascinating because we know that Paul uses these three words, faith, hope, and love, at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So there are themes that are in his writings, probably were themes that were in his preaching. And so he's, he's asking the church, and he's letting the church know that I'm praying for you, that you are bearing the fruit of faith, of hope, and of love. So I want to kind of unpack these a little bit, and let's talk about each one of them. So first of all, faith. We use this word faith. It has the idea of belief or trust. To place control in someone or something, uh, to move forward with confidence. Uh, as Hebrews um, says, in what is not seen, Hebrews 11.1, 1, you know, the confidence of those things that are not seen, the substance of things. And so it's this idea that there is something there that we can grab a hold of. There's something that we can put our confidence in. And even though it's not tangible, even though it's not right in front of us, it exists as if it was the very thing that is, I'm holding on to at that very moment. Belief, trust. And so he says here that they are to have a faith in Christ. I've, we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Now, oftentimes we think about faith in terms of salvation. Um, you know, for we are saved by grace through faith. It's not of ourselves um, or we would boast. It's, a, it's the work of God, the work that God does in us when he brings regeneration and he brings salvation. But I think that oftentimes we forget that the faith that saves us is the same faith that sustains us. Because we walk by faith. We live by faith. We obey by faith. And so this presence of faith in our lives is not something that's just a one-time event where we check off the box of faith. It's the continuation. It's the very essence of what it means to be a follower of Christ, that we walk by faith. 
And so I think there are often times, though, those issues of faith that are a struggle for us. You know, we need to remember that God is able. That whatever our circumstances, that God is able. And we need to believe him for what is ahead and to put our faith in him that even though we can't see what the result is, that he is there working and moving and he will bring about what he desires. We need to believe that God can save and we need to believe that God can forgive. And so sometimes as we're seeking faith, someone's coming and they, they're reading scripture and they're trying to understand what it means to, to be a person of faith or, or what would it mean for me to place my faith in Jesus, that there is uh, oftentimes a hesitancy that exists there. But that hesitancy should not be there. You know, it's this understanding that God can save, that he can forgive sin, and to know that he is able and he has the power to do that. It's a reminder that God can transform us. He can sustain us. And I think oftentimes our, our access of faith is believing that God will guide us and that he has our best interest at heart. You know, it's hard sometimes when we hit a circumstance or something happens and, you know, and we're like, I, I, I have no control of this circumstance. I have no control of what's going ahead. And the only thing I know to do is to believe God and to trust God. And we, you know, oftentimes hit that moment and then, you know, things kind of start working themselves out. And I think it's almost as if God said, I had to get you to that position. I had to get you to that point where you could trust in me. And then he begins to move us forward when we trust in him, we believe in him. And he brings about that result that, that glorifies him. And I think also just believing that God will bring about what he desires in our life. And when he can bring the benefit of fulfillment and joy and grace and yes, love. So that's our second one here is love. Now, what do we mean by love? Well, obviously the idea of love is affection. It's an unconditional expression of trust. It's a self-sacrificing action for others. It's an appreciation, a kind appreciation, a brotherly love. So we have this term love that we use. But in other languages, oftentimes the descriptors of love, you know, vary. Uh, so you find that in Greek, you have the agape love, you like the phileo love, it's a brotherly love, and then the unconditional love is agape, and then you have more of a familial love, um, or erotic love, you know, so they have these different terms that are, that, that qualify these different things, where we just use the one word, love, and then you have that expression in the context of what's being said. But Paul says here in this verse, he says, of the love that you have for all the saints. So this love that he's talking about, that he's praying for them, is a love that's extended not toward themselves, but it's extended for the others, the brothers and sisters, as he says in um, verse 2 where he says, the faithful brothers and sisters. So it's a love that's to be expressed to others. And I think that oftentimes in our busyness of life, we can lose sight of what it means to love someone else. What it means to love someone else um, as we love ourselves. Remember the, that's mentioned in Scripture several times. And so love of the type of love Paul's talking about here is a love that's directed to others. 
It's a love that's given without any kind of expectation of return. It's a love that we have of action where it's shown in the expression of sacrifice. You know, over the years, you um, have opportunities. We were just, last Sunday, we were with the church that we were at in Gloucester, Virginia. And, um, you know, it had been a while since we had been there in a worship service. And as we were there, you know, so many friends, so many persons that we spent time with, you know, and just opportunities, again, to express love, to express appreciation, you know, for, for them. And for me to just reflect back and see the, the love of, that developed for that congregation over those years. And that's a precious gift, you know, that we have. But oftentimes that love just didn't happen automatically. It oftentimes happened in the midst of difficulties. You know, sitting in the waiting room of the hospital, not knowing what's ahead and praying and just trusting God for what was going to happen in the life of their loved one. Walking alongside of them, you know, in death and in the funeral and just watching God give comfort and giving, watching God give peace. Setting, someone sitting in an office and just crying and knowing that, you know, the, the circumstances that they're going through just seem beyond um, what they could understand. And then just watching God work over the next days and weeks and months in those circumstances. And over time, you just develop this love for people and a love to see them and, a, and you have a joy to be with them and encourage them. And then you know that your life is better because of your investment in that. You know, how many times, you know, an opportunity to go to the hospital and I'm, my schedule's busy, there's things that are going on, and I'm like, I've got to go, I've got to just block out the time, and you go and you minister to somebody, and then, you know, you went there expecting to bless them, and you walk away, and you're the one that's been blessed, and you're the one, because you've watched them, you know their circumstances, and you've watched them just trusting God in the midst of that circumstances, or their faith, and you realize that love develops when you invest in other people. And so when Paul says the love you have for other saints, this congregation was characterized by how they expressed affection, and love, and investment, and how they gave up their own desires to meet the desires of someone else and over a period of time he says I'm praying that you will keep that characteristic of the love that you have for the saints the love that you have for one another that should be in us and that should not be something that fades that should be something that over the years increases and increases and increases because of the investment that we make in one another I think it's a great reminder as for our church and for all churches in that regard. Now, notice the last one here. He gives this, he expresses this idea of hope. He says, because of the hope reserved for you in heaven, you have already heard about this hope in the word of truth, that is, the gospel. So hope is something that's the joyful expectation. It's the trust in the future. That even though you don't know the outcome, you're hoping. You have this expectation that things will work out. And there is this joyful expectation that the end result of that will be something that will be for fulfillment. Something that will be for the greater good. But Paul says of this congregation that their hope that they had was, he says, the hope reserved for you in heaven. 
And this is a spiritual truth that I think sometimes we forget. That no matter the circumstances going on, that there is a hope that is reserved for us in heaven. You know, for me to live as Christ, Paul will say, you know, in the, the beginning of Philippians, for me to live as Christ but to die is gain. And you're like, well, Paul, how can you say that? Because his hope was not in this world. It was in the expectation that there was something beyond this life, the expectation of heaven. Now, I think there's a verse, oftentimes we talk about using Scripture to interpret Scripture. I think there's a verse in 1 Peter um, chapter 1 that I think really does express this idea in a great way. Now, notice what Peter says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, that's undefiled, it will not fade away. And notice, it's reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God. And notice this statement, through faith for a salvation already revealed in the last time. Now notice how where he says that there is a hope, that the hope that we have, because we are born again, it is a living hope. Because Christ isn't dead, Christ is alive, and the, the thing that we inherit or obtain is what? Imperishable, means it can't perish. It is, what's the next descriptor there? It is, what? Undefiled, that means it can't be poisoned, it can't be spoiled, it's undefiled, and how long does it last? Forever. It never fades away. Folks, our hope is not in this world. It is not in political systems. It is not in our monetary um, means. It is not in the nationality that we are. It, our hope is in Christ. And we are first and foremost citizens of heaven. We are kingdom citizens. And we are a part of the kingdom of God. And it is so important for us to remember that. That as we're moving and forward as a church. That our hope is reserved for us in heaven. And no matter the circumstances. No matter what happens. That that hope is a hope that is held by the very power of God. God saved you. And he is not lacking in power to sustain you he is not lacking in power to hold you and he is not unable to help us as a congregation a believer of saints to move forward into our community and with the gospel and the hope because our hope is not in any of these things our hope is in Christ and we need to be reminded of that because circumstances around us can get very difficult at times. And our hope is in Christ and our hope is ultimately reserved for us in heaven where there is an ascended Christ and a loving Father and the Spirit of God indwelling us. And that is where our hope is. And Paul wants them to be reminded of that. Now, how did that hope come about though? Because he says that you have this hope because you've heard about it and this hope is in the word of truth. Now, what does he mean by the word of truth there? Well, probably he has the idea of Christ. Obviously, Christ is the word of God. He is the word of truth. 
But I think also in view is the scripture as well. The, the very scriptures that tell us the meaning of Christ, that tell us the hope of Christ, that tell us the events and the story of Christ, that give us the knowledge and understanding of who he was and what he did and the necessity of us responding then to the resurrection and the salvation of Christ to believe and to place our faith and trust in him. And Paul says you have hope because that is not reserved in yourself. It is reserved in heaven and you know about that because of the hope of Christ that you have heard the word of truth and then he gives the statement the gospel now the word gospel is something these verses aren't up here but the gospel is a term that we use a lot the gospel the church needs to be gospel centered that our lives need to be gospel centered that uh, our hope is in the gospel that we're proclaiming the gospel and so this is a term that we use a lot and in its basic meaning, it just means the good news, the proclamation of the good news. But its application in the New Testament is the good news of Christ. That Christ came, that God was completing what he had started in the nation of Israel, and it was being fulfilled in Christ. And that was the good news, the hope of salvation. And it was the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. The good news, as he defines it in 1 Corinthians 15, that that was their hope and that was what they were to be about and they had heard about that because they had heard the gospel and because of the gospel they knew their hope in heaven and because of that they had responded in faith and because of their faith they were loving one another in Christ that is a beautiful truth that I think we need to be reminded of in our day but Paul's letter and his introduction doesn't stop there because God doesn't give something that he doesn't expect it to grow. That he doesn't expect it to move forward. So notice this as he continues the bearing of fruit around the world. So he makes this statement that this has come to you. And he uses this statement bearing fruit and growing all over the world. Just as it has among you since the day you heard it and came to truly appreciate God's service. So the gospel is something that is to be shared. It is something that when you come in contact with it, that you have to respond to. And Paul says that when they came in contact with the gospel, the hearing of the gospel, that that was a beginning point. It wasn't an ending point. It was a beginning point of the bearing fruit that they had in living out their lives, now focused in Christ, now focused in the hope of the gospel. And so, you know, he gives this idea that God's desire is for you to know Christ, the word of truth that he has testified about in Scripture, and to know that gospel and to know that message. But notice also that it's bearing fruit around the world. Now go to the next slide. So when we talk about bearing fruit, what are we talking about? So a tree or a plant, you know, something that bears fruit. So we had tomato plants and we had squash and we had zucchini and some other things in our backyard. And so what's involved with the ultimately bearing of fruit? Well, it involves the harvesting, you know, because of seeds are sown. Because soil is cultivated, because nutrients are given, 
Then there's the adequate amount of water that's given. And then the sun is shining on that. And then this process of metamorphosis begins to happen and grow. And then we receive the harvest of that. And those plants that we invested in and gave ourselves to, they bore the fruit uh, of what they were designed to do. And Paul is saying that there is a process of the gospel that should be the same in our lives. That the gospel is not intended to just bring us into a new status, and that is heaven. It's not just to bring us to a new status where now we have a new identifier, that is Christ. But the gospel is invested in us. It's given to us. There's a transformation that happens in us so that our lives will bear the fruit of the gospel. So that there will be a fruit that, that flows out of that in our lives. These expressions of love. These expressions of faith. These expressions of sharing the hope of the gospel with others. And so the outflow of good health, we know physically, is growth. You know, you don't have to say to your children, you, know, you bring your child and you bring them to the dinner table and you stand them there and you, you, you know, you say, grow. You don't have to do that because you know if they're well nourished, you know if you feed them, you know if you cultivate their health, that the natural process is growth. And if that's true physically, is that not true spiritually? Do I have to bring you up here and say, okay, grow? No, because I know if you invest yourself in Scripture, if you are willing to learn about your faith, if you will see the things that the, the Bible talks about that you need to be doing, that you need to be putting away, and you begin to give yourself to the health of the gospel, to the knowledge of Christ, the knowledge of the Word of God, that as you begin to practice those spiritual disciplines, those spiritual actions, that what will the result be? Growth, yeah. The natural outflow of that is growth. But somehow, we get down the road a little bit and we feel like, you know, I just feel like my faith is a little stagnant. I just feel like it's, a, you know, it's just not what it, what it was. And oftentimes, you can go back and look, there's some nutrients along the way that you've been setting aside. There's some time that just didn't feel was necessary. There were other things that just seemed more important than time with the Word of God. There were television shows and uh, phone calls and other things that were, seemed a much higher priority than you taking time to spend in the presence of God. And should it surprise us, that we get down the road and all of a sudden we see a change. Or we don't see the growth that we'd like to see in our lives. And it's because we're not making that investment in spiritual growth and in spiritual health. Now our culture is all about health in some ways and in other ways we're not, you know. We're all about indulgence. So, you know, the best thing, this is the best candy, the best everything. I guess my prayer earlier probably wasn't too good, you know, talking about that. You know, but, you know, I love a Twizzler and a Blow Pop, you know, but at the same time, I get up the next morning and, you know, I'm like, I just don't have the energy. You know, I just don't feel good because I've had so much sugar the day before that my body's reacting to that. Because what? Junk in junk out you know what I'm saying and so 
but spiritually we do the same thing. We don't have time to read our Bible, but we have time to listen to podcasts, to watch shows, to do all of these other things. And we make little to no spiritual investment, and then we're surprised when our spiritual life isn't what it should be. But should we be? So it's a reminder. Paul's reminding them that this gospel was bearing fruit in their lives, and that should be that. So it's the cultivation of the spiritual soul. The cultivation of the soul is needed. Now I want you to see also that he says that this gospel is growing around the world. Now if you caught that, he said um, that it's growing, bearing fruit and growing all over the world. So the outflow of their gospel had been that it had not just stayed in that church. It had not just stayed in that community. That as those believers began to grow in their faith and better understand the gospel, they realized there are people that need this. There are people that need to know this kind of love. There are people that need to know what it means to have faith in Christ. There are people that need to know that there is a hope beyond this life. And they as believers had begun to invest and to give themselves and it had not stayed in that community it was bearing fruit around the world and it was going around the world and this is a reminder for a church it's a reminder for us that the work we do is is not just in these four walls it is not just on Sunday morning and on Wednesday night that the work that we do as a church you are the church scattered and God takes you from this place so that you will be the church Um, around the world taking the hope and taking the gospel we need to be the church gathered yes and there is a vitality in that and a necessity in that because that is where those love relationships are taking place but our work is not completely done in this building it is done outside of this building and we as a church have to continually be reminding ourselves of that you know, we have some uh, things that are going on right now. You know, we're coming up on the Christmas season. And during Christmas season, we emphasize the offering uh, that we, as named after the missionary Lottie Moon, who was a single Virginia woman who left her church in Charlottesville, Virginia, moved literally halfway around the world and invested herself in the gospel and believers and uh, those that she won to faith and then those there in China. And she gave herself to the work of the gospel. It's a reminder that there are some uh, 4,000 Southern Baptists in the United States who have said, we'll go and we'll take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And we have relationships, as you know, and you heard from many of them this fall that are going and taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. And when we give to that, and when we pray for those missionaries, when we invest ourselves in that, we are part of taking that gospel to the world. And Paul will make a reference to that in a minute. You're part of that when you give. You know, our giving is a church. You know, when you give uh, on a weekly basis to the general fund, you know, 10, well, almost actually about 15% of that actually is going to missions and, and through what we call the cooperative program and other things that we're doing here locally and that we're doing nationally. And so as you're giving, a part of that's not just keeping the lights on. It's not just buying Sunday school books. It's not just um, paying salaries. It's, it's a part of that is taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. And when we give and we contribute to that, that is so vital and is so important to the work that we do as a church to be able to provide resources and network and be able to do all of those things. 
We have events that we're doing in our community. We, have the na we did the National Night Out, you know, a few weeks ago out in the parking lot. So we're going to do this coming uh, October the 29th on a Friday night. We're going to have a fall festival in our parking lot. Uh, First Baptist Church, I'm convinced that one of the untapped resources we have at church is that parking lot because it is visible. It's an opportunity for us to, to show um, love to our neighborhood and to the light of Christ. And so we're going to do that. But that's going to take an army of volunteers that are there that night that are bringing cars and they're opening the, the trunk and you know, having some kind of a theme and giving out candy and volunteers that are making hot dogs and making uh, things that we can give to people and registering people. You know, all of those things are a part of that night where we can be sharing the gospel and, and, and helping love on our community and showing the love of Christ. One of the things I'm most excited about because of the COVID you know, some of our opportunities that we've had to go to other nations have kind of fallen by the wayside. It's hard to get in countries. It's hard to do a mission trip when you have to go and quarantine for two weeks when you only have 10 days to do the mission trip. You know, it doesn't allow for much, you know, during that time. So it makes it very difficult sometimes for us to go on those kind of trips. But I always am concerned when we're going to other places and ministering to a people group there that we, we feel is very vital to the work that we're doing and we've been called to to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. But that same people group sometimes exists and not too far from us. You know, and so we have opportunities. We can't take a mission trip to Afghanistan, obviously. But there are thousands of Afghans that are coming to the state of Virginia that are being placed at these different military bases that will be moving into communities all around Virginia, and we can go to them. We can't oftentimes go to other places. And one of the places we've invested ourselves over the years is Haiti. And during COVID, we found out that there's a huge Haitian population on the eastern shore that work at many of these uh, Purdue and Tyson chicken plants there. And there's a gospel need among those, those places. And there's a church there. There's a young pastor named Waldo Charles. And he pastors Tabernacle Church in a little town called Parksley, Virginia. And if you, if you know where Parksley is, you know it, it's a crossroad. But in that community, in many of the old houses there, there are Haitian families that are living there or working in those plants. And they have a church that's there among that. But this church needs our help. They need us to come alongside of them and to encourage them. And they're renting this old t-shirt factory and folks, it needs some work on that building. And there's an opportunity for us when we can't go maybe somewhere else right now, but guess what? Can I go to the Eastern Shore? Do you have to have a pass to get to the Eastern Shore? Maybe an easy pass, but that's about, that's about it to be able to get there. And so there's an opportunity where we can still be doing that work and investing right here uh, in our own state. And so if we just sit and don't do something because I can't get on an airplane, I'm not sure that's the right response to the gospel. We need to be bearing fruit. Even if it's, and even and especially right here in our own state. So a lot of opportunities ahead for us as a church. So the last thing I want you to see then, and we're done, is the investment in Epaphras. Bearing the fruit in disciples. Now notice where they learned this. He said, you learned this from Epaphras. And notice the description. 
our dearly loved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has told us about your love in the Spirit. So apparently this pastor, this he describes him here as this fellow servant who was likely the person who had founded this church. When he heard that Paul was in prison in Rome, that church had said, we need to minister to Paul. And we want you to go in faith. We want you to go and express our love to Paul. And they sent him away from their church to that to Rome, to the city of Rome, so that he could be there and that he could minister to Paul. That is amazing. And, and Paul says, he's the one that's telling me these stories about what's happening in your lives. But Paul also reminds them that the importance of the need of a, of a faithful servant, this faithful follower who they had sent to minister to Paul. And I just think that's a great description. And he wants to remind them to show appreciation. To be reminded of the gift that they were given by him. And he, he gives this statement there uh, toward the end of that. And he has told us about your love in the Spirit. How do you love someone that's unlovable? Do you love them in the flesh? That's probably not the spiritual response. Or do you love them in the Spirit? And by that we mean the Spirit of God. That God gives us the ability to love someone. And Paul says that he told him about the love that that congregation had in the Spirit. Because the love that they were expressing was from the very Spirit of God in their lives. Fascinating. So in conclusion... I want to give an application. Paul says we're bearing fruit, and we should be bearing fruit, and that the gospel was bearing fruit in their lives. So how's the gospel bearing fruit in your life? In love? In faith? In hope? In sharing the gospel? Giving yourself to spiritual maturity and sharing and showing appreciation, ministering to others. I don't know about you, but as I worked through this passage this last couple weeks, the Lord kind of worked on me a little bit. That's the danger in preaching because before you preach it to someone else, the Lord's going to preach it to you. And... You know, the Lord just started working on me in some areas this last couple of weeks. And I've been reminded there's some areas that I could be doing a little better. That there's some fruit on the vine that's not as healthy as it could be. So where do we identify where we need to plant? Where we need to water? Where we need to cultivate? Where we need to fertilize? Where we need to let the sun shine into our lives and where we need to share the outflow of the fruit of the gospel with others. I'm going to let the Lord bring that to your attention because he sure brought it to mind. 
What a great reminder as Paul writes this letter to this church to remind them to bear fruit. And they were doing it in faith, hope, and love. They were doing it as they were working to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And as they were investing and seeing others discipled who were then making disciples and that process was continuing that they were seeing that happen and I pray it's a good and a good reminder to you as it has been to me of the greater need for the bearing of fruit in the gospel in our lives amen all right let's pray Lord what a incredible opportunity you give us and how you work in us to transform, to convict, to remind us of what it is that you would desire to do in us. You're shaping us, you're molding us into your image, that we would better reflect the image of Christ. Lord, I pray for anyone here today who needs that first step, that first step of faith, to say, I believe, I trust, I'm following, I need Christ in my life. God, I pray them you'll give them the courage to believe and to trust in you. To come clean about their sin and to, to be willing to say, I'm a, I'm a follower. I'm a, I want to follow Christ, even today. Lord, I pray for courage in our lives where we've allowed ourselves to be stagnant, allowed ourselves to kick into neutral in some areas. And Lord, that you would challenge us and that we would be reminded today that uh, the faith that you give us is not intended to, to stay dormant, but it is to bear fruit to those around us. And Lord, I just uh, pray that you would work in hearts today. You would remind me and remind all of us in this room of areas where we need to be a better reflection of you. Lord, do your work in us. Lord, challenge us. Lord, convict us. Lord, enable us and fill us with your spirit that we might go with the hope of Christ from this place to make an impact in this community and around the world. God, we love you. We pray that you'll continue to do what you desire to do in us. Lord, we ask this prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. 
How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through His Word, through prayer, and through His people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to Him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where His love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia.